Hello, and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where I, rom-com enthusiast Madison, introduce my friend, co-host, and resident genre skeptic Chelsea. That's me. To all the feel-good. Cliché. Romantic. Questionable. Hilarious. Occasionally humorous. Films she's never wanted to watch. Hi, Madison. Hey, Chelsea. Do you want to know what I woke up to this morning on Instagram? Um... Was it Kim Kardashian breaking it again or? No, no, it's something that honestly, I, I've never had a fear of this, of this thing. A lot of people do, but it's mostly for the discomfort. But Madison has taken this fear to a whole new level. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. I woke up and I opened Instagram and there was a headline that a dentist in Colorado has been accused of poisoning his wife. And for those that don't recall, Madison has had not one, but two dentists. Who have committed crimes. Yes. The first of murder, the second of child molestation. Well, technically my dad just went to the second one, but he did say, wow, this is a great new dentist since our last one was a double murderer. Maybe we should go to this person. And that didn't work out because like a week later, he was also on the news. So I guess my realization this morning is maybe I should fear the dentist more than I do. I think you should. My dad basically has to take like Valium every time he goes to the dentist because he has he has a dentist phobia. There's a word for it. I don't know it. There's a word for all of it. I'm so glad you told me about this, Chelsea. I yeah. actually just got my teeth cleaned last week. So <laughs> I'm honestly shocked you can even muster up the courage to go to the dentist anymore. Oh, no, you don't understand. My dental hygienist, she is amazing. She gives me the hot tea. I give her the hot tea. Like, she actually pulls her hands out of my mouth so I can, like, spill the hot gossip as she's cleaning my teeth. Uh, her sister's single again. So that's that's a good thing. Um, and her kids and her husband and her went to Disney. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, Madison, speaking of hot gossip, this is a very special episode. Is it? Yeah. In fact, I would say, get ready for the sexiest, most salacious, most incredible bonus episode of Laughs Ever. That's the end of my intro. It is pretty hot in the studio today, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. I forgot to turn on the air, so it's 83 degrees where I am. That's really unfortunate. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm super sweaty, but my comfort doesn't matter because what's going on in the studio goes way beyond heat. Well, actually, the person who is here with us is bringing the heat. Everyone, please welcome Nicole. Hello, Nicole. That's hilarious. Yes, I'm on fire. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so hot. So we are bringing Nicole on today for a very special episode where uh, we invited her to be our sexpert because she has a history of being one. Nicole, could you elaborate on your experience with that? That's ex- that's very um, excessive. <clears throat> I will <laughs> no. So yes. So my um, background in s- sexpertism. Is that a word? <laughs> Sexpertise. Sexpertise. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> See, there it is. Don't trust me now. Sexpertise. <laughs> I w- I wrote for our college newspaper. Um, I think I only did it for a semester. Under the byline Nikki Sweets with the Z. 
So technically Nikki Swedes. And we, I wrote with another editor named Johnny Rocketship and we wrote love advice, but by no means as I, a sex expert. I, <laughs> I think at that time I maybe had four sexual partners, sexual relation partners. That's it. Like, <laughs> but I wasn't afraid to talk about sex. And so we talked about finding the G spot and um, Valentine Day ideas on the on the erotic side. So I still have those articles in my nightstand. They're in my nightstand. Just in case you need to reference them. Yeah. Or (laughs) submit them for a future job that might want me to write for them. (laughs) That is incredible. You know what? Bustle should call you right now. Um some alumni of my you know call it I shouldn't name it, but uh they threatened to not support the school anymore if they continued with the hump day feature so at least that's what i was told maybe they just didn't like it because i was so bad but such a bad (laughs) (laughs) i disagree i i will say that i feel like it probably brought a lot of enlightenment to people on campus and maybe if places like i don't know byu had something like that they wouldn't have an outbreak of armpit crabs right now wow yep I don't think we wrote about that. I would have to, I can't remember exactly the two specific ones I remember, where to find the G-spot and uh, if it exists or if it's a myth. Did you, Do you decide know? that? Well, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it exists. To my understanding, it's, it does. it's similar to Bigfoot in that it's real um, and men believe in it, but can't really seek it out. It does exist. I do believe, though, that several lesbians have found Bigfoot. Yeah. Premier Bigfoot hunters. They are lucky. The lucky few. <laughs> <laughs> but we we thought it would be important to bring you on and discuss this because before we launch into that, since this is a rom-com podcast, we need to know your background in rom-coms as well your favorites, if you are a big fan. Am I allowed to age myself? Absolutely. Um, So I'm 45 years old and I grew up in a time where you had to go to a video store like Blockbuster, if anybody remembers Mm -hmm. that on this podcast, and um, rent movies. And I was so lucky that my mother and my sister um, both worked at video stores when I was growing up. So my sister was eight years older than I was. And so, you know, when I was 13 and she's working at the video store or whatever, whatever age it was, um, you know, I was able to get any movie access to any new release or anything like that. I basically was grew up on VHS rom-coms, pretty much how I, and sadly to say, I feel like sometimes my life imitates a rom-com um, in my relationships, not currently, but definitely back then. I joke that um, everything I know about like landing a man, I learned from a ZZ Top video because, (laughs) you know, he's got legs and sharp dressed man. I mean, come on. I mean, and the the ladies coming out of that car were so hot. And (laughs) I mean, seriously, like who didn't, I wanted to be one of them. And if you haven't seen a ZZ Top video, they're super cheesy, but awesome. 
and so stereotypical, but awesome. I don't care. Like you have to have a sense of humor when you watch these things. So yeah, I feel like I I was a product of a divorced family and I kind of just always watched any movie I could. And then also like my mother didn't have cable, but my dad had like Skinamax and oh, HBO. So I was constantly watching things that my mom would not approve of. And she knows this because I confess everything. But yeah, so I loved being at my dad's because he would work to <laughs> night turn and I would just be able to watch it all, you know, so rom-com to Skinamax shows and it was great. Um, so that's pretty much how I, how I grew up. <laughs> and I've never been afraid to talk about sex. Um, we used to have sleepovers at my house. And one of the things I would do is I would tell them fantasy stories before we fell asleep. Now, this was, of course, before the age of phones and TikTok and all those things. So we would just lay in the dark and I would make up fantasy stories um, to tell my friends. And it usually involved new kids on the block members. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And in fifth grade, I wrote poems about New Kids on the Block's uh, private parts like Donnie's Darlin and Jordan's Jingler. Now, granted, <laughs> at f- in fifth grade, I'd never seen a penis, but man, did those poems, those poems hit. <laughs> they, were, they were on. But yeah, so that, I don't know awesome. if that's exactly what you were looking for in my my background, but there it is. That's pretty much all of it in five minutes, I guess. That sounds perfect. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, so are there any movies that like stand out to you of kind of made you fall in love with the genre? Yeah. So I, I when you asked me that question in the email, I was like, oh, my gosh, it'd be easier to name the ones that I don't really like, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm such a movie freak. And this isn't just rom-coms. And I even was asking, like, I wrote a list here, right? And one of the things I said, is this a rom-com? Because then I started getting into these, like, wait a minute. What is a rom-com? Mm-hmm. Because, like, Dirty Dancing, is that a rom-com? We might have to discuss that in the future. I've thought about adding that one, and it's, I don't know. It's not funny. There's some funny yeah. parts. Yeah, that was my holdup, was if there was enough comedy in it. Because you have, like, silly moments, like the um, the sister brings in a lot of silly moments, but there's also so much <laughs> drama. and <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yes. The pineapple, yeah. And so, but then you have such levels of drama, like the penny scenes and, you know, just all of it, the dark side of what happens if Johnny loses this job, that sort of thing. That's where I started going down this, like, whoa, like, is this a rom-com? So my list, like, the the ones that, of course, come to mind are the typical ones, right? Like, Growing up, 16 Candles, of course, that was like, oh my gosh, I wanted to name my kid Jake Ryan, because if I had a boy, I was going to freaking name Jake Ryan. I mean, I just loved 16 Candles, um, and that I would classify as a rom-com, correct? We're right in that? I would, I would think so. Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. Oh my gosh. My mom took me to see this in the movie theater. Okay, like it's about a prostitute. And stuff, fun and love. I'm like, I love that movie and I will watch it every single time it's on TV and it's not, I mean, I love it, right? Like, it's yeah. um, it, you know, being rescued. It's like that Cinderella fairy tale kind of movie. And so it was 16 Candles where she gets her dream man. Another one that's probably not a rom com, but it's one of my favorite romantic movies is Say Anything, 
with John mm. Cusack. Again, I don't know if that's a rom-com. Uh, that's for your expertise there. <laughs> <laughs> we may dive into it later. So yeah, like those are like some of the the first ones that come into my brain when I thought about the ones I didn't like. And you'll probably be very mad at me, but one of them, it was when Harry met Sally. It's okay. Chelsea's in league with you. Yeah. I don't think she should. he should have met Sally. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know what it is about that. And it's also with, like, Sleepless in Seattle. And people will hate me for that. And so then I also put You Got Mail on there. But then I rewatched You Got Mail. And I was like, mm, maybe it's not so bad. I don't know what it is about those ones. It's bad. Is it Meg Ryan? I'm sensing a really strong Meg Ryan theme. I don't I don't think so. <laughs> no. I think that when Harry I think it's that whole like it's so I'm again, I've watched so many movies in my life. Like it's just that formula that it fits that's mm-hmm. so predictable and there's the same characters in every movie, but it's comforting. I can see why people like it. That's why it's so successful. Like Sleepless in Seattle is probably one of the most popular rom-coms that exists. Like when Harry met Sally, like that's Mm -hmm. what people think of. I think when they think of your typical rom-com and it's because the formula works and I get it. But I think for me, I need more spice. I need more passion. Mm -hmm. And I think those didn't have that passion for me. So I think that could lead us in pretty well to the idea of intimacy in romance and how, well, there's there's a lot that I kind of want to go into with that. But I guess to you, how do intimacy and romance kind of intermingle and how does sexual intimacy specifically how does that play a really crucial key in movies like this for you i think it's vital i mean when a movie ends where all they do is kiss and then it's the ending like you wait the whole movie for them to kiss i'm happy that it ended that way of course it fit the perfect little puzzle like there was no missing puzzle piece but i am disappointed too because i want more i want to see the sex like my my friend when we would go to the video store she would be like Nicole you're such a perv because I would be like I'd look at the back of the box and be like and that's just PG and I'd put it back and like oh this is PG-13 there might be some nudity okay like I want to see not that nudity is what matters because usually it's female nudity and that's I think very skewed and unfair but back when I was you know 13 14 I didn't care I was like oh I know they're gonna they're gonna get it on this is gonna be good um so <laughs> intimacy and romance to me, went hand in hand. I mean, when the woman or the man pined over each other or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, that when I was a kid, I should say, yeah. you know, that's what I wanted to see. I don't know if I answered your question, but what do you guys think about that? I don't What's interesting, you said that, uh, you know, the movies that end with a kiss are less satisfying for you than ones uh and i i don't know if you had a chance to watch the hating game but we we watched that earlier this uh season and i think that was one of i think that was one of the only ones that there is a lot of spice on screen Mm -hmm. that we've covered and i also feel like it's one where the the progression of their relationship is a lot different from that formulaic uh, rom-com that you were talking about earlier getting together isn't a like linear progression there's like hills and valleys to that couple 
um, the way that I don't think a lot of other films that we've watched previously on the show have had. And I think that the the key difference in that progression is having that like physicality of just a kiss somehow feels, I don't know, does it harken back to this idea that being physical with someone somehow, like a lot of those really negative virginal ideas where like, oh, it, once, you know, you've kissed this person and like somehow that's going to stay. And it's usually not kisses. It's it's sex. That's They're going to stay with you. I think this is specifically placed on women a lot. Men, it doesn't seem to be as prevalent of an idea, but somehow that you are forever changed after you've taken that step. And so these older movies where you end with the kiss, I feel like maybe that contributes to this idea at the end of the movie, like, oh, they've kissed and now they're going to live happily ever after and be together. And it might show some emotional turmoil within the relationship in terms of them getting together, but it doesn't show, I don't necessarily want to use the the word modern, but our like more contemporary... I guess, acceptance of how many adult relationships function, not all of them, but um, that sex is an element of it. When Harry met Sally, that's 89. Mm -hmm. The hating game was what, 2021? I believe so, yeah. That's a big time gap. And I mean, even some of the ones that we've watched that are like early 2000s, I mean, A, I think that was a huge time for, you know, the height of of purity culture. There was a lot of... uh, in the media trying to figure out which which celebrities still had their V cards and things like that. We were very obsessed with that as a culture. Well, you had to keep it right in front of your blockbuster card. Yeah. If <laughs> you haven't punched yet, so. <laughs> but like, I hate to admit this now because I know he's so grody to a lot of people, but when I was a teenager, I had a thing for Tom Cruise, right? So every Tom Cruise movie that existed then i had the vhs tape like i went out and bought that thing and i remember there was a movie all the right moves again not a rom-com it's about this guy growing up in a steel mill town where i grew up in there was a there was a penis shot in it and but i remember thinking like that was the first time i saw this movie that was like on the shelves not behind the you had to be 18 in order to get behind the the desk there at the video store where there was like this penis and was it tom cruise's Probably not, you know, but in my little brain (laughs) at the time, like, that's Tom Cruise. And like the Days of Thunder scene, you know, where they, Nicole Kidman and him make out against the wall, like it's so passionate and everything. So I think for me, there was all this, always this level of want or passion, whether it was a rom-com or anything that really like just completed a movie for me back then. Now, I don't know if you ever saw This is 40. That is one of my most favorite movies now. It's so real. Like there's this scene where Leslie Mann, she wants to have sex with her husband, who's Paul Rudd in the movie. And it's in the morning and he's like, or sometime of the day. And he's on his, in the bed and like looking at his phone or iPad. And she's standing there with her boob out, right? (laughs) And she wants to have sex, obviously. And he's like, what? He doesn't want to. And so eventually he's like, are you trying to start a fight? You know, she has her boob. She's like, no, I want to have sex. And I was like, oh my God, this is so real life. Like this is so real life and so (laughs) rom-coms to me now became more of this like wow that really captures and is that romance that's real life and so that's why I really love movies like that now as opposed to that uh, the girl gets the guy guy gets the girl partners get the you know like that I am all for real life 
all the way. Well, I think that speaks to the purpose of a film, right? Like, is it fantasy? Is it wish fulfillment? Are we watching it as an escape? Or is it representing the comedy of everyday life, the things that you're going to experience? And the fact that we're relating to a scene like that is what makes it funny versus concocting some sort of absurd scenario that most people are not going to encounter oh, I just love it. ever. You're trying to pick a fight. <laughs> Boobs out. <laughs> Sex. Yeah. You don't, I'm sorry, Madison, you don't have fight with your boobs out? I feel like. That's, well, it depends on who it's with. <laughs> yeah, it, it depends. But, um, you know, sometimes I do. I, huge supporter of free the nipple movement, you know, it's just starts with unlined bras, transitions to no bras. If you can walk downstairs without concussing yourself, without one on. You want to start a fight? Then you're going to fight with yourself because your boob just beat you up and that's not nice. Exactly. But I think it also gets to one of the best parts about the combination of romance and comedy is you are allowed to bring humor into sex because sex has humor in it naturally. I mean, it's weird. It's awkward. And sure, you know, it's fun and it's intimate and everything. But there's also moments where it's like, you know, if I... If you accidentally knee me in the ribs or something, or if you try to put my knee behind my head and I have the flexibility of a geriatric woman, you know, and that doesn't go, it's funny because it's, there's just a level of ridiculousness with it. And I feel like that is something that more romantic comedies should embrace, not just like the ludicrous awkwardness of it that makes you kind of cringe type of comedy but just the silliness of it i feel like that could be embraced more in rom-coms now that we're actually allowed to show a degree of sex and not just and now we kiss have you seen uh win a date with tad hamilton no so again when harry met sally is probably like the well i don't know if it's the first but the whole the monologue you read where he tells her everything even her flaws are things he loves right uh win a date with tad hamilton there's a scene similar to that only he tells her i don't want to anyway <laughs> can i do a spoiler alert here like plug your sure. ears um he tells her sh- she has like what the number is 10 different smiles and all the things she smiles at in each like each of the 10 or whatever and it is the most it's got uh Topher Gray I think is that his name Topher Grace Topher Grace I love that movie like that is one again there's not like much sex oh who's the guy who look they look like each other the two actors the one that was married to um He's Tad Hamilton. He's a, he plays a celebrity, right? And then there's this small West Virginia, small town West Virginia girl who wins the date with Tad Hamilton. And it's so good. I'm telling you, I love it so much. It's just it's so sweet. But there's no nudity, not that I can remember. There's not like nudity. There's not anything like that. The, in, the intimacy is, again, a friendship that evolves. Yeah. And I think I'm also so in love with that story of a friendship that evolves into more where they realize that the one they've always been looking for is right in front of them. Um, I love stories like that. 
So I say one in one hand, I say that I don't like just the kiss and then it's over. But in the other hand, you don't have to have sex in it, I feel, for it to be an awesome rom-com. I think it's just that journey. Like you were saying, Chelsea, the journey, the the buildup for that connection to exist. And the, the funny, silly adventures that they may get into along the way. <laughs> okay, well, two questions. Number one, for you personally... Do you what what does sex on screen add to the story that you might be missing in another film or in another scenario or for example in a film that has that sex scene if you took that out what do you lose Okay so that hating game one right like I watched it before you had mentioned it or whatever so I watched it again just to remember So if they didn't have the sex scene now granted there wasn't like it wasn't like a gratuitous sex. Like it was very PG-13-ish in my mind of the sex, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I don't think there was even nudity in that. No. Because I'm a perv, like my friend always said. <laughs> and I look for the nudity. But if they didn't have like the passionate kiss that they had, that what would happen to that? So I know that's not sex. Um, and then they kept prolonging the sex, if you remember. Yeah. Which was frustrating and didn't make sense to me. In the movie, like what was up with him? He was being so weird. They're like, why are you not having sex? What's up with that? So if they and so that frustrated me. So there, like I wanted them to have a moment there, and they didn't. But then again, uh, the delayed gratification, right? So when they finally did, was it all I wanted? No, I wanted more. Like I don't know, they didn't show me enough. They didn't. It wasn't like long enough for me. The the scene, I guess. Yeah, it's almost like the the buildup allowed for more personal intimacy between them emotionally to grow. But once they had built that up, they didn't really let it play out as openly as they started to. Yeah. And so, yeah, just kind of to make a pun, it petered out. Do you like that one, Chelsea? I mean... It was more inventive than some of your other ones. Thank you. I guess Thank you. it helps to have a guest on here because Chelsea's like not even laughing at you, but I'm <laughs> laughing at you. Because I'm, I'm just, I mean. just so fed up with her shenanigans. <laughs> oh, will there'll be a season three. That's our tension on the podcast, though. <laughs> we do the same thing that my grandparents did for the first, like, 30 years of their marriage. Every year, they would sit down and renew the contract and decide, like, okay, if we're going forward, this has to stay the same and this has to change. After a little while, it became a five-year and then 10-year. Co- I think once they hit 50 years, they're like, it can be a 10-year contract now. I think that's brilliant and the premise of a really good rom-com coming up. Renewing the contract. The contract. Yeah, the contract. I like it. I will say, though, not quite sure if I would look to them as the perfect role model for a relationship because they do say that the best year of their marriage was the first year where my grandfather was literally in Vietnam. (laughs) That makes sense, actually. (laughs) Right? Oh, Well, I think this is a good time to talk about um, sex and storytelling 
which is so that's why I said it was a two part question, but leading us into this this next chapter, if you will. So what does sex add to a story and what kinds of sex or what scenes, what 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 depictions of sex are the most satisfying that add the most value to a story? Nicole, uh, it sounds to me like you would like longer sex scenes, but I guess my follow up question to that is, are you looking for something like 365 or 50 shades of gray where there are these long sequences or no because that's focusing on the sex before romance and you want it the other way around i think no i do not want i do not need the uh 50 sh- <laughs> I, I like the 50 shades whatever but uh no i don't need that in my rom-com but what i guess what i'm saying is and specifically for the hating game if they're gonna if they're going to make it so much about that sexual tension. Mm-hmm. So that one specifically I felt was really about a sexual tension that they had between you two, between each other. So I guess when the sex scene actually happened, it wasn't as much as I thought it was, should have been. So in that mm-hmm. specific case, I was disappointed, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word. I was just that it didn't, storytelling wise it didn't um meet what i'd think as a good story it's kind of like i've had this one boss who wrote a term paper and it was about like all the super bowls or whatever and he got really tired and i should credit him for this but whatever i'm not going to say names but it was hilarious i always think of this he started off the first like let's say it was 30 chapters long it wasn't but i don't know so he started off the first you know 15 chapters they were full they were full of facts and details and and then at the end from 15 to 30 on it was like and this was a Super Bowl, and here's who won. And this was a Super Bowl, and here's who won. Because <laughs> he got tired yeah. of writing all the details. So I feel like... Lack of stamina. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for me, like when it's specifically about that sexual connection or the sexual attraction, and then they don't give me something, mm-hmm. or give the story something, I should say, uh, then it, it just kind of is a letdown. Um, one I think of a lot is um, Boomerang. I don't know if you ever saw this Boomerang with Eddie Murphy and Halle Berry's in it and Robin Givens. So it's also one of my faves from when I was a teenager. It was very much about sexual attraction and sexual energy and being a player. And I feel like it accurately now, again, I haven't watched it since I was probably 17. Um, but I felt like at the time that really met what I liked in storytelling with sex and a romantic comedy um but again i'd have to rewatch it to see it's more if the storyline is about that passion buildup. because most rom-coms that i've really enjoyed are about either the friends who become lovers so it's not really like a sexual tension or passion it's um more innocent i guess or not innocent that's not the right word more since i don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Well, the intimacy is easier to believe when you have years of knowing somebody versus the standard rom-com of we met seven days ago and now you're the love of my life and I have to travel back in time for you or something like that. I think that I, I see where you're coming from with that. It's just, it's more believable. It's more genuine that friends to lovers dynamic. Yeah. Or the unrequited love, like where, um, like in 16 candles where she's in love with Jake, Jake Ryan, but 
he doesn't know she exists, you know, that whole, cause that's mm-hmm. where I was, you know, as a kid, like I relate to that where I loved this person who was unattainable or I thought I loved, you know, when I prayed, I was like, Oh, please let him like me, you know, what a fool, but no, he didn't, you know, but she gets him. And so it's like, but they didn't need to have sex, you know, mm-hmm. for that to, to satisfy me because she got the guy in the end or she got who she, she wanted in the end. But yeah, the sleepless in Seattle's and the, and I know when Harry met Sally, there is a sex scene. I don't, I don't recall. There is. And well, that's kind of like the issue, the conflict that's introduced into the plot is they have sex. And then there's just like this profound sense of awkwardness on his behalf because the they crossed a bridge that they could, they, they burned a bridge after they crossed it in a way that he now knows what a relationship with her could look like in that lens but he's not ready to have the relationship evolve like that and i think yeah that's that's actually a perfect example of a really really awkward sex scene because nothing is really shown um in the actual like act itself they kiss and then you see them next to each other afterward i think that goes to one of the other questions you had mentioned that you had sent um about like how women are always the ones that are typically naked in a, in a rom-com or any kind of, or they're the ones of like, if you think of wedding crashers and there's like, there's a scene, I don't know if it's the unrated version or whatever, where it's just a montage of women, their boobs like bouncing around. Right. Cause it's just a montage of them hooking up with all these women at yeah. weddings. And so I, I'm not a fan of that. I just want to make that clear. Like when I say I wanted nudity, I wanted it where there was like the love, the intimacy, um so that's just to be clear about that but yeah i don't so when harry met sally the whole they had sex and like they kissed and the next morning they've shows that so you just assume that they've had sex like i'm okay Mm -hmm. with that because again the whole movie wasn't about uh the passion that was building up there was friction harry as a character she makes a comment of like you have to go to new jersey because you fucked the entirety of manhattan and that's he he can't cross the bridge to emotional intimacy she can't cross the bridge to physical intimacy so that moment for her sort of completed the relationship for her but he still hadn't reached the point of being okay with being emotionally intimate with people he's sexually intimate with and i think that's in talking about you know the inclusion of sex scenes in romantic comedies i'm one of those people who really wants the cuddle moment after or the morning wake up afterward still in bed together because it adds and that additional layer of intimacy of it not just being a physical act between these characters which i mean if it is that's fine but you know in a romantic comedy you're expecting the romantic angle to be there as well Uh, And I think that's what brings that in for it kind of ties a bow around it all really nicely. I took a creative nonfiction class in college. The instructor was also a songwriter, a musician, and he played a Sufjan Stevens song, which if anyone knows uh, that artist, it's very kind of hippy dippy bulky kind of music but he played this song and he had the lyrics on the board and he said i want it was and it was a a a romantic song and he said i want you to tell me the most romantic line in this love song to you 
And the line that he chose was essentially discussing like waking up the morning after spending a night together. And he described the sunlight on, I think it was her shoulder blade or like her collarbone or something like that. And like the beauty of it. And he goes, I think this is the most romantic line, which no one else selected. And I was like, I got it wrong. That enha- I think it enhances the story in ways that dialogue can't convey. I think the physicality comes in when a lot of times dialogue in rom-coms can be really cheesy or trite because they're trying to express ideas of physicality that either they won't because they're aiming for a specific rating or maybe they just don't feel it fits the story. Maybe they're keeping to old Hollywood ways of, you know, a, a kiss is symbolic of greater things. That's really true. The rating, yeah. I mean, you got to think of that, too. They got to get a certain rating. Which kind of brings me, though, to the the darker side of the presentation of sex and sexuality presented in romantic comedies. Even in lower rated movies you still have depictions of sexual harassment and sexual assault that are played off really lightly like in um clueless for example i completely forgot until we rewatched it in an episode this season that one of the guys at her school tries to like, feel her up and make out with her etc in a car and then abandons her in a parking lot where she ends up getting mugged and then uh you have One of my favorites is um, 10 Things I Hate About You. You have elements in that movie. I mean, you even have, if you look at it, you know, then it was just very comedic. But if you kind of take a really modern lens to it, even 16 Candles with the whole, you know, you have, um, oh God, what's his name? Anthony Michael Hall. Yes, you have Anthony Michael Hall. Farmer Ted. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) With a, a passed out drunk girl in the car the whole I gave my panties to a geek scene to indicate that they had done something to warrant him having possession of her underwear. And that's usually factors into the rating of a movie far less. I mean, it usually doesn't impact it much at all. (laughs) But if like the positive sexual interaction had happened, that would have changed the rating. Wow. When you think of that like that, wow. Well, I mean, it's kind of like to kind of pivot slightly when we think about like sex education in schools, we're not really talking about like we're talking about do we have a conversation that's going to be beneficial to the mental and physical well-being of an adolescent person who is going to be participating in these activities either soon or, you know, in the future at some point. Probably, not necessarily, but probably. And the the backlash to that, and I think is reflected in why a movie that has a very flippant scene of sexual misconduct would have a lower rating than a scene where two characters are participating in a very healthy depiction of you know sexual intimacy is because we're we're not so much concerned with the mental and physical well-being, particularly of young women, Mm -hmm. we're only concerned about whether or not they are having sex. Mm -hmm. That that is the number one concern, it seems like, when we have conversations like that. 
and somehow to have a discussion or to depict something in a positive light would somehow be detrimental. I'm I'm making skeptical faces for those of you <laughs> listening. Uh, <laughs> but having a, a joke, oh, it's just a joke. It's funny. But those, I feel like those very small moments and and we could talk about a variety of different topics in which we have very small flippant moments on screen or in a book and i feel like those chip away at a very like healthy outlook on whatever the topic is so in this case sex we see enough of that and you know young women are we training them to come to expect these things and I guess th- this we can transition into, I know we Madison and I had some questions about what responsibility does film or media have in portraying these very vulnerable situations? Do they have a responsibility or not, you know? Um, and, and both in a kind of like sexual assault sense, but also like in a, you know, what what role does film play in, you know, those more realistic sex scenes where, you know, women are waddling to the bathroom afterward to like <laughs> pee, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or I know, like, uh, I don't know if any either of you have watched the TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but there's a number of situations that are not necessarily about sex, but are related to uh, women's health in a variety of ways that get talked about that I think probably that might be people's first interaction with those topics in a more honest way. So much of what we talk about when we talk about sex is not talking about it. We have so many different euphemisms and language that is unspecific. And what harm is that causing? And so when we continue that in on screen, not because we're not, you know, we don't want to have that conversation. We're telling a story. And so we leave out a lot of these like very specific details that might be helpful because that's not the point of the movie. But when we don't have that outside of the film, whatever we do see on film almost becomes a guidebook for young people Mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think it should be, to be clear. (laughs) But I feel like it ends up being. And so it's not until they come in contact with some of those more realistic scenes that maybe they are like, oh, crap, like, that's something I have to do or (laughs) I had no idea or I didn't know that was bad. I didn't know that that could be harmful with thoughts on the relationship between, I guess, like art and education. Like what responsibility do, do films have healthily depicting these kinds of situations or do they have a responsibility? I mean, I would think of, it's not a rom-com, but I, you know, what my teenage son likes uh, and my daughter is going to be 20. That uh, Outer Banks show, right? So it's mm-hmm. so absurd. I like it. I watch it. But like you got the people trying to murder people and they're on a treasure hunt and they're running, they're having sex on an island. They're dessert. I don't know. It's like, I know it's not a rom-com. Um, so you got like that, which all these kids are watching these days, right? Me mm-hmm. too. And Cobra Kai. I love Cobra Kai, right? And because uh, that's like Karate Kid retro to me. I don't know the responsibility, I guess. Like I don't, I feel like there's the... They're trying to just tell story and entertain on one hand. But I think if you're going to introduce something like that, like we know murder is wrong. Okay. Like we know don't murder. So they're trying to prevent the bad guy from murdering the people. Um, So I guess in the same instance, like in that clueless scene where when I watched it, which is also one of my faves, by the way, when I watched it at the time, I just thought, oh, that guy's a creep. What a Mm -hmm. creep. What a gross, gross. Get off her. And then, you know, but why was that scene important to the movie? It wasn't except for the fact that 
uh, was it Josh? Was it her stepbrother? I forget his name. Yeah. Uh, comes and rescues her, right? Because mm-hmm. he's the one that saves the day and like kind of scolds her for getting herself into that situation, which is another story. Why is it her fault? Yeah. But yeah, so is the responsibility. I think we're doing better as a society with producing movies and um, just in the fact of like when I was growing up, you would use, you know, the word gay as a negative thing, which is awful. That should not be a negative thing. But they would use it as an insult. So, but now you don't see that anymore, which is so refreshing and so good and so safe. And I love that. And I want more of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's not just about the negative of like, be safe when you're on a date. It's also about let's portray positivity toward everyone and love is Mm -hmm. love. And let's make more rom-coms that are inclusive and not just about boy, girl and that gender, you know, the fluid, the fluid gender. Like let's, I want to see more of that. And I think we're going to get there. And so I think in that respect, I feel like they're trying to do better. Mm -hmm. But if they're going to use a scene in a movie for a specific reason, like you were saying, like the harassment, if there's like a, they usually do try, I feel in some way, maybe not in Clueless, but I think they are now maybe trying. I can't speak for everything, but more and more I'm seeing inclusivity and I'm seeing some sort of educational piece to it um, mm-hmm. where it where it's fitting so that makes I, I like that yeah there's more consequence in more modern film of those kinds of jokes they're either be- not being used or they're the characters who act that way face more yeah. social retribution mm-hmm I love that. I hate it. I hate thinking back to those movies I loved and they have such awful hate and uh, discrimination. And I'm just like, what the heck? You know, but I was, that's what we were all, that's what was on. But now I know, you know, how bad it is and I hate it. I will say too, I, and, and people may disagree, but I am a very, very firm believer that there is not a single film that is benefited by the presentation of a rape scene no on film because here's the thing you can understand that and you can understand the implications of it from the presentation of you know an emotional reaction afterwards or a discussion afterward you know just basically the presentation of the aftermath alone is more than enough to convey an assault that has happened. I recently watched and I can't remember the name of it. I will find it in a moment because I know that listeners hate when I say, I remember this movie and I can't remember what it's called. So I'll come back with the actual name in a second. Um, But I watched a movie recently with Mila Kunis and I love Mila Kunis. I think she's amazing. But the movie that she was in depicts a, a gang rape scene and actually shows the assault It was like a series of different people involved in this assault of like the younger version of herself. So it's also a teen character that this is being, and it would, I mean, I, I came very near to, I I was watching it with my parents because it was presented as like a psychological thriller of someone who lived through a school shooting. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. So that's what I thought that's what I thought I was walking into. And then I was, I was very, very close to being like, you know what? I am just, I'm not going to continue 
watching this because I'm a very firm believer that no uh, visual representation of that, you know, act is necessary to convey that it happened. And I feel like on the same token, you know, like you said before, there are moments where consensual sex isn't we for years decades we've had so many movies romantic movies that convey the idea of consensual sex without ever showing the intimate act to a point where it's kind of disappointing so if we're so comfortable with that i have no idea why we ever felt the need to begin depicting the opposite on screen. It's interesting, right? It's it's almost like what is the purpose of that scene mm-hmm. in the film? And to me, if for if you're showing it, I can't think of a reason why that would be necessary. So to me, it seems more for shock value. Yeah. They're trying to, in a very like insidious manner, remain in a viewer's mind long after. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it feels a little bit traumatizing to me, especially if you're not expecting it, especially for sexual assault and rape survivors uh, who might not be aware that that is included in a film. And I think the film you were talking about is Luckiest Girl Alive. Yes, it is. Okay, I looked it up while you were talking. But on the same token, I I don't know if either of you have watched that show on Netflix, Ginny and Georgia. Yes. But this most recent season, and I won't like ruin any big plot points for anyone, but uh, one of the characters on the show struggles with self-harm. And in the most recent season, this is something that's been like building up. Uh, I think five, ten years ago, they would have shown in a very gratuitous way Mm -hmm. uh, the self-harm scars when the character's mother discovers that this is something that's been occurring. But instead, I think what the show did very correctly was focused on the mother's reaction to seeing this Mm -hmm. as opposed to showing us and us being horrified at what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're horrified emotionally because that's the important piece of, of the storytelling. It's not about the physicality of it. We all understand, especially from the storytelling, it's clear what is going on. I don't need to see the scars to understand. I don't need to see the physical damage to understand the impact. And I I also feel like, especially in a situation like that, when we talk about self-harm, we're talking about mental health and and not so, you know, this isn't a a car accident Mm -hmm. where somebody's, you know, femur is coming out or, you know, something like that. Is that appropriate? I don't know. Not really the point of this discussion. But I think that it was one of the most responsible depictions of something like that. I feel like it did it with a lot of respect for people who do self-harm and also uh, a responsibility because seeing something like that can be very triggering. And I know that people don't like to admit, you know, we use things like content warnings, trigger warnings, but those are really important. So I can't come up with a reason why a rape showing a rape on screen would be necessary in any way shape or form i i cannot conceivably understand why the showing the physical act would be important to the story Mm -hmm. understanding that it did occur sure we that's helps us understand a character um helps us understand a situation better but a- apart from shock value, I, I, am you know, if anybody has any uh, suggestions, they can let us know. But I, I don't understand why that would be necessary, and I think it's really irresponsible to 
show us and it's really unnecessary well i like that you specifically pointed out in the in the jenny and georgia reference the mother it focuses on the mother's reaction to what she sees the result of her child's self-harm when she physically sees it it focuses on her reactions because neuroscience has shown that the basis of empathy a lot of times is actually based in the existence of an activation of mirror neurons which you know basically if we see something someone's face reacting to something we can understand in a really intimate way what their reaction is because we understand that face is a result of this type of reaction this type of emotion and then our brains can mimic the sensation of that emotion ourselves and that i mean that's the basis of empathy is i understand what you're feeling even if i can't understand the nuance of the situation or i haven't gone through it personally i can understand the basis of your emotion because i can read your emotion itself apart from all of the other details and so i think that film specifically has a really special way that it can capture that in both a positive light and a negative light i mean shit that's all you need to embrace is just a, you need a good actor who can convey that type of reaction and you don't need the rest of it you just need a good writer who can write the dialogue around it and you need a good actor who can emote I can't recall of a like a rom-com where there's like a graphic rape scene in it or a sexual assault scene in a rom-com. But like I know like again older movie it's called The Accused with Jodie Foster and the whole movie is basically set around her being assaulted in a bar. And I think, I, I can't remember how graphic it gets. Because again I probably watched it once and then I was like you know, I'm not going to watch that again because it made me not good it made me not comfortable and i didn't like it um i but it really was trying to capture i believe like you're saying most a lot of people can especially empaths can just look at someone's face and feel what they're feeling or just put themselves in that role so maybe sometimes the director or the producer and i'm not sticking up for them by any means because i have no idea but just trying to maybe reach that really hard-hearted person to show them like look at this like, don't turn away from this. Look at this. Not not trying to be insensitive to a victim, which I am a victim. So I can, I really have a hard time with watching anything like this. But just trying to show to the people who are so hard-headed that still think, well, you shouldn't have worn that short skirt. And you shouldn't have got that drunk in a bar. And you shouldn't have been showing, you know, whatever they think. Those small-minded individuals who think it's the girl's fault. Mm -hmm. You know, what I used to tell my daughter is you could be in a freaking sweatpants and a hooded sweatshirt and someone will still think that they can, it doesn't matter what the hell you're wearing. Sorry if I can't mm -hmm. say that. Um, no, no, you can, I can you say can the say hell fuck if you want. I can say the hell and the fuck. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't have the answers to that, but I'm trying to see where maybe a, as an artist or as someone who's trying to tell a story in a way like that accused movie where that's mm -hmm. pretty much the whole thing is about that incident. And then it's about her afterward. Like it's all about that. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know that going into it as opposed yeah. to like what you were saying with Jenny and Georgia, they did warnings before the episode. 
kind of think what the um 13 reasons 13 why reasons why yeah um which is also wow you know i i don't think there's a point to ever show it and just to go back to that um in my opinion but i can also see annoyingly why someone may think oh this is justified in this case um, well and and i feel like an important piece of the puzzle is we all know that the majority of directors cinematographers are men, men. <laughs> And we know that the majority of, not all, to be very clear, not all, but a lot of uh, the, you know, people that experience rape and sexual assault, those victims are women. Women. Mm -hmm. And so to me, what it says is that I think a lot of the stories that are told unresponsibly are told from the perspective of a person that's looking that at at the situation a lot more abstractly yes because it's not something that they have experienced and so therefore intentionally or not it's an insensitive depiction of that type of situation it is a gratuitous depiction of that situation it's an irresponsible depiction of that situation because the person telling the story is probably not the person that should be telling the story. Yeah. True. Very true. And I think that kind of loops back around to the, just the presentation of sex and nudity in rom-coms, like you were talking about how it's almost exclusively female nudity. And I think part of that is we've, we've for some reason decided that women's bodies are just more palatable in terms of ratings and stuff like that. But I mean, keep in mind the original release of planet of the apes, the original planet of the apes, when it was released was rated G it had full frontal male nudity in it. What? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I ever watched the, the original. I watched it the other day uh, with my dad and he was like, I wonder if they're going to include that. I was like, they're not going to include that. This is daytime television on a weekend. They're not going to do that. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, But it's, it's just the idea. I think of we, I will say though that thankfully I think we're okay with the male, butt. to, I, we, I, I made uh, Chelsea see Jack Nicholson's butt. Uh, this season, she has not recovered. What was that in? As good as something's got to get. Something's got to get. I love that movie. And that's and that's one. Oh if God. we want to talk about nudity in film and sex in film, we were a little bit irritated about how <laughs> silly the sex scene was because it it was like the fir- we didn't like it because <laughs> Diane Keaton's character like it was such a monumental thing for her to be having sex. So we thought it kind of like undercut the intimacy of her moment. But the scene where you know you see Jack Nicholson's butt and you see full nudity Diane Keaton um and both of those instances they're not in a sexual context um but i i think that's i think that's actually the the most nudity that we've had on on the pod chelsea (laughs) on the pod well yeah you know as you were talking about nudity so in planet of the apes being g um, i've not seen planet of the apes so please correct me if i'm wrong but i would assume that in that context it's not in a sexual context. No, they're, it's not. They're just standing around because they exist. They have a body. They exist. And they're just standing and they don't have clothing on. Yeah. Yes? Uh, yeah. In that scene in 
I, I didn't watch closely, but I do believe that the uh, humans are treated as like slaves to the primate rulers. Uh, uh, and so it's just that they didn't have them wearing clothes. So it's anatomy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, well, it's anatomy. <laughs> so the question becomes, why, why have we sexualized human bodies to the point that seeing a penis, seeing breasts, seeing a vulva is immediately sexual when people on this planet, all people on this planet have some combination of those genitals. And sure, we wear clothing, but I think that, you know, when we when it comes to ratings, uh, curse words mm-hmm. are often, you know, there's a limitation to how many times certain words can be said before you have to give it a different rating. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the answer to this is, can there be nudity in a non-sexual context that is lower rated than nudity in a sexual context? Mm, that's interesting. Oh, uh, you mentioned um, wedding crashers uh, earlier and the montage of women falling <laughs> into bed just... and b- breasts just flying <laughs> everywhere. And I mean, I, I think you have a scene like that because uh, unfortunately, almost every piece of media is filtered through the male gaze. And so breasts uh in our contemporary society are inherently sexual regardless of the fact that their function is uh you know (laughs) nurturing and not uh you know not sexual in nature you can cuss yourself when you run up and down the stairs without a bra but yeah no but i mean but i think that the, the the reason that that nudity is is so shocking for us is because we have just decided that the purpose of nudity the purpose of seeing another person naked is inherently mm-hmm. sexual when it is not um well, i think it's- there are there are a number of contexts in which you might see someone naked that is not sexual at all <laughs> well i think this is also we're kind of hitting on something that is in some ways uniquely american um you know you would have this conversation less in different areas of europe uh, especially, but I, I I think it just really gets to the fact that in a hyper evangelical society, even though the country as a whole is um, decreasing its religious focus individually, you still see that a lot in a political sphere. You still see that a lot in um you know, a media based sphere. So I think that's, that's probably a huge basis of it is just largely evangelical movement kind of pushing for, I mean, it's the basis of morality. You can't, the ratings of movies is based on a morality scale. You know, can we accept violence or is that immoral? Can we accept nudity and sex because we've conflated those two things or smoking is it a moral? And drinking it used to be smoking, yeah, smoking and drinking drinking cussing you know all of these things elevate a movie's rating and i think it's just the the policing of bodies like that it was just easier to apply morality to it on the basis of how it could be used I'm not an expert on ratings, but I, as a viewer of media, I have noticed that, you know, movie ratings and TV ratings are different Mm -hmm. in the way that they function. And I feel like TV in a lot of ways is a lot more expansive in the way that it rates things. And you will not only receive 
whatever the rating is, which is sort of an umbrella for anything that you might see, like you will be allowed to see under this rating. But then they, a lot of television programs will explain to you right at the top, this is rated M because of X, Y, and Z. And I think that that makes it easier for you to understand as a viewer or perhaps as a parent who is trying to figure out is this content, I think, I feel I'm comfortable showing to my child of X years Mm -hmm. uh, to understand that, oh, okay, this is rated this rating and it includes these topics, concepts. Is it rated this rating for language only? Or is it particularly violent? Is there sex in it? I mean, like, to me, all of those things are kind of important to any viewer, whether or not you're a parent or a guardian or somebody that's making the decision on the behalf of a younger viewer. But I think that those are important. And I think it's, I think it does a disservice to art itself. Uh, unfortunately, that's the way that, uh, you know, we've, we've set up this industry to work. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, I feel like it would be more beneficial for you to understand that it has a, a mature rating for language, but everything else, you know, it's a PG-13. The Hating Game. Do you know that's rated R? Yeah. Why? Yeah. What's 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 there in the Hating Game? That's It's probably because they say the F word too many or times. Adult scenarios. So, and then another one yeah. I love, How to Be Single. Have you seen that one? Mm, yeah, so I've good. Seen that one. So that's R. That makes sense. Wedding Crashers? Of course that's R. But Wedding Crashers, we know, is very all about getting it on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hating game really isn't about getting it on. It's about the, a relationship dynamic. Right, exactly. It's, and I think both are. <laughs> I think a lot of rom coms fall into a lighter rating than it, it then maybe you would consider them conceptually. Like, um, for instance, have you seen Never Been Kissed? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's one of Chelsea's favorites. Love it. Okay. Shut your face. Oh, she hates I'm it. Kidding. She hates Why it. Why do you hate it? It's the penalty box bad. <laughs> because the... No, no, no. There have been two. That one, as of recording this, there are what? two. That and... You put Kate and Leopold, one element of it. No, 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 no. Yeah, I said the writer penalty oh, box correct, for the correct. incest trope. But um, some something's... I think it's something was got to give I put in the <gasps> You know what you did? You put something's got to give in the penalty box. I put that Why? in the penalty box. I have to listen to this podcast? <laughs> which which number is it? Which season? It actually comes this. out uh, this Wednesday. Something's Good gotta Lord. Okay, Wednesday don't say... Don't spoiler it. alert, but we got to listen. Tune into that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, it, you know, uh, to answer your question, Nicole, it... Um, <laughs> I didn't like it because well, for it never been kissed because the whole the whole concept was ridiculous, but also <laughs> they were putting children in a real situation of uh, you have adults and children mingling in ways they should not be mingling, and regardless of the fact that she herself is not an actual child, the whole romance yeah. is predicated on the fact that he thinks she's a student and yet nevertheless he is attracted to her and. As an audience, we understand that it's not actually a crime, but the whole time it feels like a crime and they are constantly put into situations I do not think they should be put into. And I had a lot of problems with the writing of the film and everything. I agree with you. You like it, that's fine. But penalty box bad for me. 
have you seen that meme about Dirty Dancing? Where it was like, yeah, baby needs to be in the corner. She's supposed to be 17, dating like a 30 year old, whatever he was supposed to be. Like, yeah, <laughs> she should be in the corner. Put baby in the corner. But yeah. no, you're totally, you just blew my mind. Wait, have you seen the thing about Peter Pan? How he's actually the villain? Because he kidnaps kids and Captain Hook is actually the good guy because he yeah. is the one who tries to stop him from kidnapping kids. Like, what? Mind blown. But you're right. You are so right. Oh, my gosh. Never look at that again the same. Back to movie ratings. I think that in some situations, if you have strong language and they get bumped up for the rating... I sometimes wonder whether or not if you're going to get bumped up, well, you might as well include a sex scene. You might as well include nudity because you're already at that rating. And this is where in terms of it being a story and we're storytelling, I think that's when you get movies where those scenes feel very out of place or like, why is this included? It doesn't make any sense for these characters. And so I think that's the trouble that you fall into with the way that the rating system works. Um, And again, this is speculative because I don't actually know this for a fact, but this is my theory anyway, (laughs) as to why, you know, there's one of one of my uh, comfort reads is being turned into a film, uh, Red, White and Royal Blue. You would love that book, Nicole. You would love it. (laughs) It's about the, the, it's a fictional universe uh, in which uh, we have our first woman president and her son falls in love with the prince of England and they have a kind of uh, affair and then, you know, shenanigans. It's very funny. But okay, so this is being this I probably comes out later this year or early next year because they're they they wrapped they wrapped filming, I think, at the end of the summer. But I'm a little nervous because I have reservations about um, how graphic the book is not graphic but i have reservations because the language in the book they throw around f words and all kinds of things and it makes sense for the characters they're all young 20 somethings and that's the way they speak and i don't i feel like i don't want them to remove that language and yet i am nervous that if they don't remove the language and they have a higher rating that they will include things that are not included in the book because they can. And I have conflicted feelings because this is a depiction of LGBTQ romance. And that's not something that, I mean, we're getting more of it, but you know, it's not, it's not perfect. It's certainly not expansive. It's very white and very uh, cisgendered and very, Very uh, you know, but so I have reservations about and it's not fair to be clear that this production we don't get a lot of these types of of projects and so i'm nervous that making it explicit a doesn't allow certain it will exclude certain viewers mm-hmm. who are too young for that content from being able to access a story that might be really impactful. Right. I don't know. I have no idea. It's not out yet. Um, I'm definitely excited about it, but I am nervous about this project for those I reasons. I understand that. That's my, my criticism of uh, the Netflix series, uh, the Sabrina reboot that's mm-hmm. like very dark mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, there were parts of it that I liked, but... <laughs> All of the LGBTQ representation, I don't remember when I stopped watching the show, but all of it, they were all witches and it was tied up in this very like satanic and like dark thing. And I had a lot of issues with that because 
it was on some level saying that this is this uh, alternative and those are big air quotes for those of you who can't see me mm -hmm. um alternative lifestyle is inherently evil it, like that to me it was a lot visually what was being mm -hmm. said a lot of these scenes um where you have characters participating in specifically sex there's like i know there's like this orgy scene um that was like not like super graphic um and a lot of the the queer characters are are in this scene i it it bothered me because i don't i don't want that to be tied up i think that it gets it's gets very complicated and you already have so many people that have these negative views about this community and then to put that on screen and i don't think the show itself was making a commentary on queer folks I think that the show was like, oh, they're witches and it's dark and it's mysterious. But I think the effect of that was very different. That is so, and that's, you have a lot of expectations because you love that book so much. So it's putting a lot of weight <laughs> on that book or the, when they make it into a, in a movie. Yeah. I can see that. I'm, I put it in my <laughs> phone. So I want to look at that book. <laughs> oh, you should me think of though. Um, did you guys watch, it's a series though. It's called. It's called Heartbreak High, I think. I've watched the first couple of episodes. I haven't. I liked it. It was good. I liked uh, the representation and the inclusive. I really liked it. But then again, you know, speaking from, uh, you know, married 45-year-old, well, whatever, like, I don't know if that's how everyone would feel, but I really liked the represent. You were just talking about, you know, they're not <laughs> Just because you're LGBTQ, you're not witches. Like, I know what you're saying. Like, that's. Yeah. I hate that. Like, what the hell? They're trying to re-representation, you know, but then it's like, wait a minute, you just jumped off the cliff. Like, what the heck? Yeah. And that show had a lot of other problems. Oh, yeah. I think its depiction of feminism was terrible. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the conversations it thought it was trying to have, it did in a way that was like completely unnuanced and, you know, whatever. And I... I stopped watching it too. I can't remember when. Yeah, I stopped. Yeah. I stopped watching it because I just was like that in Riverdale. I was like, this isn't what I wanted. Well, and that's so interesting. And I, we've gone way off topic, but I love that this particular tangent. Uh, <laughs> A lot more purposeful. No, it's a lot more purposeful than a lot of the tangents we go off on. There's a, the trend to make a lot of these more bubbly original content, right? Like Sabrina the Teenage Witch was like this like sitcom, mm -hmm. you know, and then Riverdale coming from the Archie comics and... Um, What's that one my sister was really mad about? The Fate Wink Saga, oh, which yeah. like a children's graphic novel or cartoon series that they then change. And I think, I, I feel like I heard that they were making the Powerpuff Girls into like a more dark series. Okay. So there's like this weird trend of making everything really dark and edgy and like have this almost true crime aspect to it. And I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean... Perhaps they're successful. Guess people are watching these shows. They keep making them. But it's a little jarring because I definitely think you could have remade some of these series and not had those twists to them and still made them like more modern or made them relatable to to a contemporary audience. Uh, for example, because I love to bring up Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's our favorite on the show. It's my favorite. They recently, Boom, did a reboot of the comics. So it's set 
in 2020 or 2021, like it's like contemporary, like as it's going on, the art is stylized to look like, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Alison Hannigan and um, Nicholas Brendan and everybody that's in the TV show. And yet they're wearing like, you know, but I think the essence of the, you know, the, the story didn't necessarily change. It's still comedic, dark, emotional, whatever. Like it has all of those elements. It's just they updated it. And I think some of the things that they have conversations about are just a little bit more relevant to what a teenager now would be going through as opposed to a teenager in um, the 90s. But I think it retains a lot of the charm of the original show. So just as a maybe a more positive example, and, and I am not up to date on like the most recent one of those, but I have read several of them. And I, I think it's interesting. And I realize I'm biased because I just love Buffy, but you know, I- <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch. I have to admit, I've never watched, so I have to. I watched the movie, which is probably like bad that I should say that. It, yeah, but I need to watch this series. I do. You do need to watch. I'll this probably show. love I, it. Ten, ten I'll out of probably ten. Probably love it for sure. Chelsea can send you a PowerPoint convic- convincing you to watch it. She has what? one prepared. I do. Yes. Uh, at the at the watch it. Watch it. The height of lockdown, my friends and I made PowerPoint presentations, and that was mine. It was why you should watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So you don't have to convince me. Like I'm look, I'm putting it on my must watch. <laughs> it's on Hulu currently. So I've been stuck in my British British shows lately. That's what I've been mm-hmm. doing. That's my life. Yeah. Well, see, that's why I, I think that's why I like Clueless too, because it's an Emma knockoff. Yeah, and then I like uh, Bridget Jones Diary because that's Pride and Prejudice, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like I, I'm in love with those two. So, well, like mm. Ten Things I Hate About You is Shakespeare, yeah. as is She's the Man. Those to me are like successful. Like you, yeah, you changed the story, but like the core of it remains the same. It remains recognizable. And ulti- honestly, with Ten Things I Hate About You, I think it's way better than Taming of the Shrew. Correct. I hate Taming of yeah, the Shrew. Yeah, I agree. Well. It also has Heath Ledger's smile, uh, which is billed separately and higher than the rest of Heath Ledger because, by God, that man's smile. Again, they do the whole, but it's flipped because it's her uh-huh. doing the Harry Met Sally, the 10 things I hate about you. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's when a David Tad Hamilton kind of does it, when Harry Met Sally, like who was the OG that did the things I hate about you, but I love you? You know what I'm trying it- to say? I feel like it goes way back. I'll I'll just start watching That's all like- romance uh, movies from the beginning of time. I did actually, you know what? To circle back to the original theme of sex, I did actually see the first distributed pornography <laughs> when I went to the Museum of Sex in New York. It was a silent film, and it was a threesome. Wow, that was groundbreaking. Wow. Yeah, a lot and of what, Bush. what year? <laughs> What year was this from? You know, I can't remember. I mean, it was it was very close to the advent of because obviously here's the thing. The basis of people are just so driven by sex. Obviously, the moment that someone got their hands on a camera, they're like, you know what? I can record. Um, so bush. I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. A lot of bush. Um, I think it was like. The, oh, gosh. Hold on. See, you know, I talked about how I'm a perv and all like. I don't need to see all, like, I don't go full porn. Like, you asked about the Fifty Shades or whatever. What You said, like, what, how far do I want? I don't uh-huh. need to, like, I don't mind. I'll watch porn, whatever, fine. But that's not what I'm talking about with rom-coms. Like, I'm just talking about just get me to the whole, like, swoon passion is complete. Like, 
I need a little bit. That's all I'm I don't need to bush. I don't. Yeah. I don't need to see the bush in my rom-coms. I don't need all that. Plus, I do feel like you were saying earlier, too. It's like sometimes it just feels forced. It's like, oh, we got to put the the sex shot in here. Oh, yeah. And the other thing really quickly, you were talking about the G rating or. So when I would get home from school, it was on Comedy Central. This was, again, I was a teenager. They would have something called the TNA matinee. So the tits mm-hmm. and ass matinee. And it's, of course, what? They're not talking about the man's ass, right? They're, and, of course, I'd watch it. But how wrong is that? Again, things have changed. I will say, like, yes, it's been slow going. But I feel mm-hmm. like we are now seeing, like, as a society, we're seeing, oh, maybe that's not the be- Maybe we don't need to be doing that. You know, like maybe that shouldn't be what we call or do treat, you know, I don't know. Not always, but I have to have hope. (laughs) I have to hope it's getting better. (laughs) Don't be pervy teenager like me (laughs) watching TNA matinee. (laughs) For uh, for anyone who wants to watch the pornographic silent film that I also watch, I I saw that I was 19. I went to New York for the first time and stayed with my friend Cassidy for a week for my um, spring break, my freshman year of college. And it was called A Free Ride, also known as A Grass Sandwich. It was it's the stag film of the silent era considered the earliest extant American hardcore pornographic movie which depicts a motorist who picks up two women from the roadside and later engages in several sex acts with them. Although most scholars consider A Free Ride a 1915 film, some claim it was produced later. The film's director and cast remain anonymous, and it was likely produced in New Jersey. Anonymous. Yeah. A mystery. Yeah. I see a documentary in the making. Honestly. Honestly, I think Madison can go back and do her PhD on the evolution of romantic comedies, uh, specifically of, you know, saying all of a person's flaws as you profess your love for them. I will do that. I will now make it my life's mission. Did my life have purpose before? Not before this moment. Okay, so did you see Knocked Up, right? Where they started a website where they log everything, like nudity, celebrity nudity. Uh And that's what the website is. So that's, we could be, you could get all of the people who listen, the listeners, to any movie they see. They could help you. They could be your research people. Um, Just have a shared Google Doc. Yes. Spreadsheet. (laughs) Any movie you see that has the list, you got to add to it. No, I that that is so perfect. If look, here's the thing: if there can be podcasts for internet sleuths to solve cold case murders right. and have that be successful, we can do this. surely we can do this, guys. We already named three. Yeah, we've got the ball rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the question is: what do we want to see change about romantic comedies with regard to depictions of? sex uh or romance and intimacy but you know since this episode is mostly about sex uh what do we want to see change what do we like about the way that everything's currently being depicted and what would what will we alter i agree with nicole's point that she put forth if you're going to introduce sexual tension like in the hating game uh you kind of have to follow through it already had an r rating Likely, like you said, because of the language, I think that they could have 
not I just done a little bit more. They kind of, they basically just did the whole wake up the next morning vibe and um I think they could have done that. I I think that though it really hinges on the development of the sexual tension within the film if that's warranted. I guess when I think of that I think of Top Gun which like looking back on it, at the time this the sex scene the love making scene was so like passion like so hot like they're up against the wall the curtains blowing and then they're this music's playing and then they're rolling around on the bed and they're kissing I don't think I don't recall like specific nudity uh, you know I just the again it just showed them basically in the lover's embrace I think that's in the song but something like that I think is what I was looking for is more more minutes spent on that of their love what I would hope for, I think I kind of touched on it. I want to see more representation. Um, I, you know, that's why I think I like the Heartbreak High series is because I felt like there was a lot of representation and where someone could see themselves um, watching it and maybe not depicted 100%, you know, accurately or whatever. But <laughs> at least, again, I'm just looking for, I love watching something that feels real um, or feels like I can see myself or I've been in that situation. But then happy ending, yay, in a rom-com specifically, I guess. So I'd like to see that. I like the happy ending, yays, of course. I think I'd like to see more responsible depictions of things all around. So let's get rid of some of these uh, scenes that are completely unnecessary and honestly a little traumatic. Um, I th- I would love for us, and I think this uh, goes beyond film, but I would love to get to a point where bodies themselves are not sexualized because we all have bodies and we all exist. And I don't know why we having a body is inherently a sexual thing mm-hmm. uh, when your clothes are off. You certainly don't always feel sexy when your clothes are off, you know? <laughs> you know, Chelsea, I'll say this. <laughs> I, I was talking to my sister the other day and I said, you know, most of the time when I have my clothes off, not really pleased with what I see just because socially that's kind of how my you know brain has been trained but I will say I've never had a partner go actually please put your clothes back on (laughs) so well and that that leads me to my other thing which is to piggyback on what Nicole said Uh, I think representation expansive representation within sex you know a variety of sexualities genders body types yes I think that's all really important. I think we have seen enough of a very specific body type, very specific sexuality, very specific race, a very specific gender. And I think it's just time. We just need more variety. More stories should be told than currently are being told. We are getting better, but getting better after a very long time of (laughs) having nothing. Yeah. So it's really not a lot. And again, variety. And not that this is specific to sex scenes, but just with media in general, I would like to see representation not just on screen but also behind cameras in the writers rooms uh, because I think that's where you're going to get a lot more authentic stories being told and 
uh, a lot more variety of stories being told. It's not just going to be, you know, I think we point to a lot of uh, media and you're like, oh, yeah, this is a, a gay rom-com. But like, mm-hmm. it's a very specific type of gay man. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that that's not a good movie or not a movie, uh, a story worth telling. But I think that we have to go beyond those milestones, those first stepping stones. And I think we have to get to a place where stories reflect the people uh, who are watching right. them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And like, I'm sick of the the stereotypical obnoxious male friend that like every male star character has or whatever it is. Like I just, and like when I was talking to Andrew about it with sleepless in Seattle, like he loves, he likes sleepless in Seattle. I won't say loves, but he likes it because he can't believe I, I, that I'm not a big fan. I'm not gonna say I don't like it. I'm just not a big fan. Like everyone else is. He doesn't like Rosie O'Donnell's character. He's like, I've never liked that character in a Like what's wrong with Rosie O'Donnell? She's the friend, she's the supportive friend. You know, I don't know what it, but I guess to him, that's the stereotypical female friend, right? Of the female star. I don't know. But the, the I am annoyed with the stereotypical male star, <laughs> male friend of the male star. Like, it's, it's funny how that is. I don't know what it is about that, but I'm tired of seeing those things as well. Just be real. I don't have a friend like that. You know, I don't I hope to God Andrew doesn't. It's a it's a recurring theme that we see with the with the guy friend. If we have to if we're going to have a likable male protagonist, mm-hmm. love interest and he's not going to embody toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. we have to have another man to take on that role because we have to have it present, obviously. That'd be another so. good topic for you guys, I guess. Exploring all the obnoxious char- sub characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like this uh, current trend of intimacy coordinators on sets in terms of making these types of stories. It's safer for them to be told. Um, Having someone specifically on set that is whose job it is to choreograph. It's nice to know that people don't feel uncomfortable when they're when they're doing those types of scenes, you know, like and I I think it makes it better for them. But in in terms of, uh, you know, well, I, we didn't get it. I think I wanted to have a bigger conversation about this, but we we kind of ran out of time. But um, I'm liking it. I'm liking to see more of it. And I think that that's something that will help both with the storytelling and not having stories in which these uh, scenes feel completely out of left field. I think they're going to feel a lot more organic um, and fit within the story that, that you see them in. And I also think from a production standpoint, uh, it'll be better for you know everybody on everybody on set. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'll, uh, we talked a little bit about this when we did Pretty Woman, and so intimacy coordinator on TikTok. If you're not currently following her, I think that you know she can learn awesome. a lot about this. Yeah, she's really great. Um, she's one of the pioneers of this role in Hollywood. And oh, I have to look. Did you, did you not like Pretty Woman? Uh, Pretty Woman's it's fine. Yeah, I like Pretty Woman. I like pretty much anything Gary Marshall touches, though, so or touched. But I prefer The Princess Diaries, oh, yes. which is the children's version of Yeah, pretty that woman, is true. So. I like that, too. Um, I think it's interesting, <laughs> just really quickly, about what you mentioned. Because you think about, like, the producer, and I know his name or whatever, but I'm not going to say it, um, who, you know, was charged or – well, he was charged, I believe, uh, found guilty – of the sexual harassment with the actresses and so i feel like that an intimacy coordinator or just eliminating that 
you know, again, I, I joked and said that I used to only get things of nudity. Of course, now I'm, I'm a woman and I'm different than that kid that would look for movies. But I think it would eliminate that um, just need to have a TNA shot in a movie, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, that's really good because I feel like the producer, especially in that uh, situation, in those situations, those actresses felt like they not just with him personally, but maybe also in the movie roles, they felt like they had to do something. I don't know. I'm just assuming Yeah. Uh, naked scene, nudity scene. Well, the man didn't kind of thing. So maybe it'll help eliminate that sort of thing as well, which will be really good. Yeah. I think, I think it almost puts the directors and producers in a position where they have to be thoughtful about how it incorporates in the storyline rather Mm -hmm. than really just, they wanted to see that themselves and kind of shoehorn it in sort of like how Quentin Tarantino puts so many women's feet in his film. (laughs) Man loves feet. (laughs) Never noticed that. Or JJ Abrams does lens flare. Oh. Every J.J. Abrams is like, lens flare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or what was that other one with Tom Cruise? Mission Impossible, that one director, he did doves. They're always like doves flying or oh something. Oh, my God. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I have to look at Quentin's feet. Yeah, yeah. He, You get shots of Uma Thurman's feet a couple times. You get shots of uh, Margot Robbie's feet. Should be rated and, R. Um, yeah. <laughs> Her feet. <laughs> Yeah, and we have a rule on this podcast. And what's the rule, Chelsea? No free feet. Correct. My going rate is five dollars a toe, but in, with inflation, I'm thinking of bumping it up to seven. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to pay Nicole fifteen dollars. <laughs> oh, it's just two two toes. I think I just showed two. Oh, toes. oh, well, I was going to tip you extra for that. <laughs> that was impressive, though. I got that leg up there. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why you're getting a five dollar tip. Yeah, exactly. You got your leg all the way up there. <laughs> I love you. That's why I did that just for you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Do we have any further closing thoughts about movies and sex? Always, always. <laughs> we could talk forever, but do you guys like American Pie movies? I don't like those. I ha- I've seen the first one. I I think that uh, the moment that uh, you have someone fucking an apple pie, you just kind of lose it. Oh, Penelope with the the Penelope with Christina Ricci. Yes, I love that movie. That's such a good movie. That's an incredible film. Oh, it has that male actor that I love so much. Yes, I'll never tell you his name because I can't remember it. Oh gosh, he was in James McAvoy. Yes, thank you. I was going to say, he was in Becoming Jane with... uh, Anne Hathaway. Thank you. (laughs) Which is also really good. God, you're so good at this game, Chelsea. I feel like we could just keep going with this for the next hour and a half. Yeah, we'll just have a bonus episode that's you naming movies that I have or have not seen and be like, oh yeah, it's got, you know, the person with the face and I'll just know. Yeah. I'll know who the person is. Oh, what's Grease and Grease 2? Are those rom-coms? Because those are musicals. But what are those? Ooh, we haven't really covered music, the musical elements. And if we do, we have to bring a, a musical expert on, which would, in fact, be Chelsea's sister, Marissa. Well, there it is. So, I mean, because so. Grease is kind of a rom-com, I think. But it's a musical. Well, it's it's not. It's a, I think you can have a musical rom-com. Okay. I don't think the musical makes it not a rom-com. 
the rom-com etude of a story <laughs> is the central motivations the and the development of the plot. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. So I just don't know if, if you know, if being in a musical elevates it to a higher standard, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, these are my questions. In a musical, this the music is propelling the plot forward. Like you're you're telling a story through song. Yeah. Like that's part of it, you know. So I you can I you can have a musical rom com. Is Grease a musical rom com? TBD. I don't know. <laughs> oh, there's yeah. also one from the eighties with Rob Lowe and Demi Moore. It's called About Last Night. Oh, I haven't seen that. So one. there's lots of sex in that one. So that was probably my pervy teenage self saying like oh there's nudity in this one so i watched that one but that's got james belushi john Bel- which one's the one chelsea which one's alive <laughs> oh john belushi is not alive so i can contribute it's to this. james okay i'm not laughing at that i apologize i'm really bad <laughs> but i was mostly laughing because chelsea was supposed to save me with my no sorry that i i didn't know that one i there are holes in my in my knowledge i don't believe base. it i don't believe it I will have to watch that one, Nicole, because and I I've never admitted this on a in a way that would Uh-oh. be published on the internet, but Rob Lowe was part of my sexual awakening. That scene with him and the outsiders in the towel. Wow. I saw that and was wait, like, wait, oh. wait, tell tell her about the other part of your sexual awakening. <laughs> Christopher Plummer. <laughs> I told you that in confidence. <laughs> Oh, we can cut yeah, this can right. Out. No, we're, we're just like we're Nicole. just talking now. We're no, not. we're keeping this. The other part, another element of it, because you know, in the multifaceted elements of sexuality, was uh, Christopher Plummer in The Sound of Music <laughs> when he takes the Nazi flag and rips it with his bare hands. I was like, oh, that does it for me. So wow. I think that that was the start of both my, you know, anti-fascist. Uh, that is deep. Uh, you know. Uh, beliefs and also a sexual awakening so yeah that's because you're a genius that's why that's like so hot to you you're like oh yeah i I think chelsea the best way to wrap all of this up is for me to say which uh rom-com that i thought had an amazing depiction of sexual intimacy that i read this week or that i finished reading this week and that is kiss her once for me and how did i learn about this book through chelsea chelsea do you remember who wrote it allison cochran i think that's it yeah so kiss her once for me uh if you're looking for a wonderfully expansive uh depiction of romantic comedies that is one to add to your shelf i i concur i thought it was great here's the thing and i think i've said this once before I may not love rom-coms on screen, but I think that's because they lack a lot of, like, I think they lack a lot in the storytelling department. I think the medium doesn't allow for certain things or, like, I have to take a lot on faith as a viewer, which is harder for me personally to do. Mm -hmm. So I don't connect with those stories. However, reading rom-coms is a different story. I mean, I love... Alexis Hall, boyfriend material, husband material, red, white, and royal blue. Obviously, we mentioned earlier. I just read Kiss Her Once for Me. That was really great. I'll also throw out One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston features subway sex. So take that as you will. I just think that the the literary medium is better for romantic comedies than film. 
that that's my hot take on my romantic comedy film com- <laughs> podcast. <laughs> is, that, is that but the books are bad? <laughs> As a storytelling medium for romantic comedy. Chelsea, we can't let them know that we're literate. They'll burn us. I know. I know. Thank you again, Nicole, for coming on. This has been, I think, one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded. This was really fun. You say that to all your guests. No, I I lied to some of them. (laughs) You gotta edit that out? Every, every guest we've ever had on the show is like texting Madison right now. Yeah, they're like, Excuse "Did you lie me? to me? You said that you enjoyed having me on. Did you not?" I hope uh, that I my expertise, my expertise, my expertise. What word did I make up? Sexpertism. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't say that I'm a sexpert, I don't know what. But anyway, no, I hope. But I didn't you know you what? Down. Experts are should be willing to admit when they're wrong, and so therefore you actually gained credibility by saying, "You know what? That was the wrong word." It's true. You're very sweet. Thank you. I'm gonna create. You. I'm gonna create a button for you now that says like "expert extraordinaire," no. like a little mini trophy. I could. I should have brought my article so I could dramatically read them. You know, like. You can you send us a recording and we'll just edit it in somewhere. Yeah, we can do that. Or if you want, you can take a picture of it and we can post it as um one of our one of our featured pictures on Instagram for this episode. Yeah, like have up like a poll quote, like some like what, like a really great line from Oh my it, god, that's we'll really just... embarrassing. Yes, I'll do it. I'll find it. <laughs> that's excited. super embarrassing and dorky. Like what the hell did they have this girl writing about? Like what <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm doing it. The people want to know. Doing it. Uh, but thank you, guys. You're great. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Madison, you want to tell the people where they can find us on the internet? Yeah, because they can't find us in person. Uh, <laughs> they can find us on Instagram at Love at First Screening. And you can also email us at loveatfirstscreening at gmail.com. Our Twitter is still active, but I'm not going to check it. So you don't go there. You don't go there. You yeah. don't go there. Nope. That's how you said it. So you don't go maybe there. Maybe we'll just, maybe, you know what we'll do with our Twitter is we'll just like 140 characters or whatever it's up to right now at a time, we'll post Nicole's article <gasps> on finding Perfect. the G spot. Yes. And that will be our Twitter. I love that so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be great. <laughs> I would be published twice then. It would be super famous then. Would be. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, once again, we are Love at First Screening. We're here every Wednesday talking about all the rom-coms you love, love to hate, and everything in between. So until next time. 